welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. And today, we take a slightly different tack and focus on the adventure aspect of the podcast because my wife, Lauren Keene, who's joining me today, and I just finished up a 72-mile hike seven days across Sequoia National Park in the High Sierra, doing the High Sierra Trail. And it was a great adventure. And actually, I found that there was a lot that I thought related to long-distance cruising in terms of planning a backcountry backpacking trip. Lauren doesn't wholly agree, but we'll talk about that. We'll jump into that. If you're not interested in this topic and want just to hear about sailing, then you can skip this episode and wait for the next one. But I thought it'd make a fun, short episode for Lauren and me to debrief the trip. So welcome. This is a first, having you on the podcast. Hi, love. Thanks for joining me. Let's start with your love for for backpacking and um, doing this adventure, which we did over our 10th anniversary. So it was a bit of an anniversary present to ourselves, leaving the kids at home with grandma and grandpa and going on this trek. Tell me about how you first heard about the High Sierra Trail and what made you want to do it. I think I heard about it sometime around college or maybe a little after um, when I was learning about through hiking or, you know, long distance backpacking. Um, I went to college on the East coast and, uh, learned about the Appalachian trail and how people hike, you know, South to North through our, much of our country taking a good many months to do that. And I was kind of fascinated by that. Uh, I had grown up here in San Francisco and I had learned to backpack in the Sierras when I was in middle school. Um, but I had never, really understood the concept that you could do that for more than like a week. <laughs> yeah. And when I heard, uh, so, so when I got to the East coast and learned that people did that, I was curious whether you could do that anywhere other than the East coast. I learned about various options and, um, one of them was, was close to home here. There are a number of them that are close to home. There's the high Sierra trail, which we did, which is seven days better known the John Muir Trail, which is 200 miles between Yosemite and Mount Whitney, uh, and some of the same terrain that we hiked. And then the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail, of course, goes from Canada to Mexico. So there's lots of options. I thought it'd be fun to just do a week and see the, the some of the best of the Sierra. I knew that, uh, or I had read that it was a really wonderful way to see a lot of varied terrain within the course of a week. And it fits nicely into our life. We have small children. We're not right now in the position to go off for for really for weeks or months, although maybe someday we will be, but maybe someday we'll take them along. But I, um, it had been of interest to me for a long time. Yeah. And then I think it was solidified about eight years ago, right before we had kids, when you went off on a hike by yourself. Yep. Right when we moved back to California, we landed in San Francisco, and 12 hours later, I said, bye, Ben, you can unpack the apartment, and I'm going backpacking with my sister. Not sure that was uh, a fair trade, no. but... <laughs> and, and I'm going backpacking on my own, actually. 
and I went up for a week-long trip in Sequoia and Kings Canyon, the park right next door. And I happened upon some of the terrain on the High Sierra Trail, uh, including Hamilton Lake, which is breathtakingly beautiful. And I spent a night there and I said, wow, I really have to bring you back here. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a glorious place. I'm glad you did. It's Well, so let's get into some of the more specifics. Hamilton Lake which is where you want, I've heard you talk about for eight years and I was so excited to see it. And it's the, the itinerary we did, it was two days in to our hike. Just this amazing alpine lake surrounded by granite walls, a big lake where we were able to swim. It's funny because I mentioned this on the trip, much of, while well, you brought backpacking to our marriage as a passion and I brought sailing to our marriage as a passion and now we both share them water unites both of them because one of the things that we love we both adore about backpacking and about this trip was that water and lakes and rivers were such an integral part of it so talk about that spots we saw along yeah the um i have a personal rule to always swim in the lake <laughs> if uh and and that has it's been a good life rule it's been tested <laughs> sometimes especially up up in those mountains when they are cold but this year i think partly because of the drought and we had a bout of really good weather the lakes were warm much warmer than i had expected um and so i did jump in the lakes but i wanted to stay in even longer than i i would have guessed hamilton lake is a glorious place to swim and rest just above it a, maybe a a morning's climb above it up the granite wall is precipice lake which was a a favorite spot for, I think, both of us on the trip. Yeah. Um, made famous by Ansel Adams and some of his um, most beautiful photography. Uh, it is, uh, I think, up above 10,000 feet, and it is just breathtaking. The colors and the there's a there's a snow patch up there that doesn't really melt m much of the summer. It's, it's hard to describe, of course, in words, but it was every bit as amazing as I would have imagined it to be. And we got there, and I jumped in the lake. And when we got back... You were talking to your mom, and she said, oh, yeah, your grandfather was up at Precipice Lake. Yeah, she thinks he was. Uh, he was a big explorer. He was from Oklahoma, but loved the mountains. And he explored all through the Sierras. I, 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 don't, I wish I knew more of the details, but he just loved to wander off on his own. And, and I was surprised to learn that he had been there. Um, it's a really – I was surprised and not surprised. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an attraction, but it takes several days to get to – even for the best hikers. Yeah. Yeah, the hike up to it was was strenuous and we we woke up at 5 a.m. I think to do it that hike in the shade before the sun came up. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't so hot. But there was the Kern River which has the Kern Hot Spring, an actual hot spring that people have made a cement tub so that you can 3 days in rest in this amazing hot spring and rejuvenate yourself in the middle of, yourself, the in the middle the of this bottom of a, like, gorgeous granite walls towering above you in both directions <laughs> and this mighty river next to it which even in this season of no water in california was still flowing yeah. you know and you could still swim and enjoy it. it still seemed like it had power and even the last the next to last day before we summited whitney for the Grand finale. Grand finale. That's a good word. Grand finale of our of our hike. We camped by Guitar Lake, this little lake that is 
very high up there. How, what was the altitude of Guitar Lake? Like 11,500 11, maybe. And then we climbed. You feel yeah. it. You feel it. Yeah, you sure do feel it. No trees around. And then we woke up at midnight to start climbing at 2 a.m. to summit Whitney, which is 14,494 feet. Tallest mountain in the lower 48. And we did it. It was a great feeling being up there. I have to say I was a little uh, starved for oxygen and freezing cold, <laughs> but the views were <laughs> astounding. But one of the things that struck me, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, and I alluded to this earlier, was that there are similarities between cruising and backcountry backpacking. Technology is one of them. You know, we had a little Garmin inReach, and that's how we communicated that was our way we were able to stay in touch with the family self-sufficiency we talked a little bit about this on the trail i think the the notion that okay maybe you are closer to help on the trail than you are in the middle of the ocean but you go out there with a sense that you are self-sufficient and are going to do everything in your power not to ask for help and then I think one other thing that I, I, I didn't expect at all, but that I found one of the best parts of the trip was the community. And mm -hmm. you have more experience with that than I do. Well, I know from this trip that we met another couple who were doing the same itinerary as we were and got to know them and really enjoyed it. Got to know them in a way that much more quickly than I think we would have back at home because we were in the same intense situation sharing the same experiences we're out there doing these things that are solitary but together so we we, we bonded over that have you had experiences yeah, like that the big before thing also is that there's no there's very few distractions which it just isn't really true in our life yeah. back home these days um, it's so rare that you get to spend committed time with people over days or weeks when you have very few other things pulling you away from your connection. I mean, and that was true for, for the two of us, but it's also true for, with the people that we met. I think we just had sort of longer, easier conversations with people earlier on than we otherwise would have because you're, you had the shared experience and you, you sometimes need to help each other. But even if you don't, you, you don't have a phone pulling you away. You don't have you don't have errands, you don't have buzzers, you don't, you don't, you don't have, you don't have all these distractions of, of the modern world. You, you, you have a lot to do. It's not lazy time. Yeah. You know, there's tasks to do from dawn to dusk, but there is a sense of, uh, like the rhythm of a day that is uninterrupted in some ways that I think isn't true back home. You meet all sorts of people. It's great. And you share information and you, you might hi meet hikers coming in the other way and you, you never know what you're going to learn from them or, you know, whether they're going to be talkative or not, or whether they're going to be helpful or not, whether you might know them, whether, whether you've seen them, you know, people pass you who you've seen before you meet up at, at a campsite. Um, you know, you may hike a different pace, a different pace, but you see each other each evening or, and it's a, it's cool to be, to be having such a shared experience where you, you often do have information that other people want or need and, and you can be helpful. Yeah. And there's not this expectation that you'll be on the same schedule, but you might meet more than once. And, and that's very similar to sailing as well. You, you know, 
oh yeah we've, we've seen each other before and let's catch up again yeah. and something you mentioned there's this seems to be code which is the same at sea that if somebody is in need you do everything you can we we were walking down a trail and somebody was sitting at the edge of the trail and we we stopped to talk to this couple make sure that the woman was okay and we gave her some of our electrolytes to hopefully help her but there's this unspoken rule that um, everybody's looking out for each other yeah and you wish that that would also be true in regular life and and of course to some extent it is but when you meet somebody halfway up a mountain who you know is a long way from help and they are clearly not going to make it without some help you you feel some duty to to do what you can even if that's just reassuring um you know and in this case we were on our last she she was i think just dehydrated and we were on our last day and so i gave her what what all the rest of our um our electro our our (laughs) sugar bombs basically little cubes (laughs) little electrolyte cubes and she didn't even know what they were but and who knows if she wanted them but it was more of the the gesture of like you're you're, there are people watching out for you, even if you feel like there weren't. Yeah. And I, I think that's important. I've never, I want to say, I, 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 I don't think, I've never been in a situation on trail when I really needed help, but I've always felt like if I was in places where there were other people, there would be somebody who would help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that made the, the trip special was our encounters with wildlife. We saw a lot of marmots. We saw... A lot of bear scat, no bear. We saw plenty of chipmunks, but most spectacular. We saw a mountain lion. <laughs> we saw a mountain lion. You saw a mountain lion. They say that mountain lions are always around. Uh, reading up on it, it sounds like there are plenty of them in the park, but that you know most hikers, the 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 cats will see you, but you will never see them, and that's that's a, of, co- of course been my experience and the experience of. I think everyone I know, I don't know of anyone who has seen one. So I was not expecting to see one in any way. And we were up very early in the morning to try to get some miles done again before the sun came in in a, in a bit of trail that ha- was, was very badly burned in a fire last year. Um, so there's no tree cover. So we, we, we really wanted to get through it before it got hot. And so it was about 6.45 in the morning and it was right out of the campsite. I was coming up toward a stream and could hear the rushing rushing water pretty loudly. And I came up a little hill and I saw the, a little face to down and to the left of the trail. And at first I thought, big animal. And then I thought, oh, it must be a bear. And then I looked at it. I was like, that's not a bear. And I realized as it moved that it was a mountain lion. It all happened so fast that I didn't really have time to be scared or have a big emotional reaction. I was just really surprised. I think I sort of started back and it started back. And it was clearly startled, which made me feel better because I I don't, it's not often that you get to surprise a mountain lion, (laughs) but it looked like I had. And I think that was because I had been coming up a hill and it was coming up the hill in the other direction. It couldn't see me, but maybe more importantly, it couldn't hear me either because of the sound of the river nearby. 
I sensed that I had surprised it and it, it kind of gave a fright and turned back the other direction, ran back down the hill and across the river and into the bushes. Ben was maybe 30 feet behind me. And as soon as I came to my senses, I called him and I said, Ben, Ben, come here. And he came running up. I don't know what he was expecting to see. <laughs> um, but uh, he saw the back of it running yeah. running across the river. Yeah, I, I saw. I clearly saw its it body and true. its long tail. And it run down the hill and across, bound across the river. And what, this was only about 15 feet in front of you when you came it. was very close. It. Yeah. yeah. We, it was probably closer than I've ever seen any large animal before. Yeah. Wow. It was real. Yeah, your heart and of course, was afterwards, racing, my heart was racing. Yeah. And you thought, think about that. Um, mountain lions don't often attack people, but um, but that has certainly happened. So the main large animals that we had been expecting to see were bears. And I was always on the lookout for bears. There are lots of bears in Sequoia. I've seen many of them on previous black trips, bears. black yep. bears. Uh, we saw one actually in the days before our trip, just as we were getting there and getting ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't see any on the trail. But no. we did see this cat. That was great. Great experience. You have been planning this trip for so long. And let's let's talk a little bit about that because the planning, your planning, you did most of the planning, so thank you. Your planning was meticulous. I have to say you you estimated what the weight of our bags of our backpacks were gonna be to within about a pound, correctly. Mm-hmm. You had all the food packed for us and we had one extra day of food intentionally because we thought we might take eight days instead of seven days to do it so that worked out perfectly there was only one meal that the two of us didn't like that's probably my <laughs> How's your meal my meal <laughs> we had rehydrated beans with cheese powder and i put way too much cheese powder in so it was way too salty and inedible so that's on me we broke the cardinal rule of leave no trace and buried those beans <laughs> deep <laughs> in the ground. But how were you able to so carefully plan that we that it all worked out? Well, I've never been on a long distance sailing trip, but I imagine it's I imagine that if you were to plan something like that, you'd do similarly given that you've done so much of that. I think a lot of it just comes with having done it before yeah, and knowing where you have a margin for error and where you could kind of wing it. <laughs> Great example. I don't eat as many snacks as my husband does. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. He is a yes. tall strapping man and uh, with an absolutely insatiable appetite and metabolism. And I am not. I was eating the whole way through that trip. And when he looked at our snacks, luckily I showed them to him before we left. And I said, these are our snacks for the day. And he said, you mean those are your snacks (laughs) for the day? And I said, no, (laughs) these are our snacks. And he said, we need at least double that. (laughs) And I I really didn't want to carry that. And I was kind of (laughs) miffed because it's so heavy. Yeah, the snacks were All the the things he wanted were the heavy things. He wanted endless (laughs) (laughs) M&Ms. So he got an allotment of 10 M&Ms per day, which he rationed out to himself, and and I did too. Anyway, I went to the store and doubled the snacks, and I thought that we were going to have lots of extra snacks, and we didn't. He was right. So it's it's not just a question of 
knowing how it works for me, which I know yeah. over my my life of doing this, but it's knowing how it works for you, which was a big question because we've done this a little bit before, but we had never planned a, a really big trip together before. Yeah. yeah. But as you know, I am a spreadsheet nerd. Mm-hmm. I love numbers. I love math, and I love making it all work out. It took a ton of planning and work, but um, but there's also a great a great joy in doing all that in the abstract and then buying it and packaging it and sticking it all in this tiny little bear proof canister and realizing that you did it. (laughs) You got eight days of food in this tiny little package and it weighs less than 12 pounds. Yeah. It was masterfully done. I have to say, and most of the meals except for those beans were delicious. We ate very well. Pasta primavera, you like the yellow curry. The yellow curry. Oh, we also added really olive good. oil to everything, which makes and everything adding better. Adding olive oil, that was key. Gave us a few more calories, some good taste. We had hot sauces. We had tuna fish. We had, even the last night, a, what was that? A chocolate cheesecake pudding? That was kind of weird. <laughs> it was kind of weird, but it, <laughs> it was a nice little treat. Oh, I thought this was brilliant. The freeze-dried ice cream sandwiches that we had for dessert. That was pretty Just amazing. Just like the astronauts. Just like the astronauts. <laughs> mint chocolate chip and vanilla Two but I would imagine that from. packing for a sailing trip I don't know how I don't know how relevant this experience would be to packing up a boat full of food for however long but I, I mean I'm sure the planning approach is similar but you really have to think about weight mm-hmm. for a trip like this because you're going to be carrying every ounce and you really have to think about volume because your pack is small And I think my limited understanding of how this works on a a boat is that you really don't have to think about weight and you kind of have to think about volume, but not, not in the same way. Not in the same way. I mean, weight only becomes a real issue if you're, if you're racing and, and, and really trying to keep everything super light and volume, volume is an issue, um, not in the same way that you have to fit it into such a small space. How did the trip live up or differ from your expectations of what it would be? Well, I have spent a lot of time up in that part of the world. I have never done that trail, but I love the Sierras. They're where I learned to love the mountains. I have done the first two days of that trail before in a different context. And so I had a sense of what it would be like terrain-wise and food-wise and gear-wise and I was really just hoping for great weather, few bugs, no smoke, and no injuries. And we had all four of those things. Yeah, someone was listening. Because <laughs> we, we had amazing yeah. weather. Uh, we got right Maybe in the middle. Maybe saw one mosquito. We were right in between two monsoon weather uh, periods and I, there were thunderstorms before we went and there were thunderstorms Literally the day we came down. Yeah, we came down, and and that afternoon, I think probably 10 minutes after we got off the trail, we heard thunder for the first time. But it was glorious blue skies the entire time we were up there. And there was not a mosquito in sight that I ever saw, and I see a lot of them usually. Yeah. (laughs) And the smoke from the fires that were very concentrated in this region at this time last year, the fires this year burning right now are mostly up north. And somehow the smoke 
left us alone for the time that we were there. And I mean, we drove up through it to get home. So we know how bad it was. And we I just felt very, very fortunate that it was not hanging over us while we're trying to have <laughs> it up a mountain. Yeah. And then, I mean, then the big question for me was, what, would you enjoy it? Mm-hmm. And you, uh, you are very up for new adventures. <laughs> so <laughs> it was cool to see you discover this in a new way. I mean, we've done some before, but as I said, not a, not a trip this long and not a trip really this intense in, in this particular environment. I like remember when we were at the hot springs, you said, if we hadn't had that, I'm not sure I'd want to keep going. <laughs> That was, you were really rejuvenated Another thing by that, that was really helpful for me is that we ran across a ranger the first day. Mm-hmm. And he, we just passed him at, at lunchtime. And he said the first day and a half of a long hiking trip are always the hardest. And that really clicked for Actually, me. Actually, he said they suck. They suck, yes. He said the first day and a half really suck. And that's true for an ocean passage. I find that the first 72 hours that I'm out there, my body's not adjusted. I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing out here? This is not fun. Why did I ever think this was fun? What am I doing? And so knowing that once I got over that hump, it would get a lot easier, and it did, was mentally really helpful. Plus, no rain, no bugs. (laughs) I mean, all of that was just fantastic. You brought up that we didn't have any storms up there. Weather is another thing that obviously you pay very close attention to because it impacts you greatly, whether you're sailing or whether you're on the trail. And lightning is something that scares me very much, whether I'm sailing in the middle of the ocean or if I'm up on a peak. And I learned, you know, both of us learned, I learned from you a great deal of what you do around lightning and storms in the mountains. Talk a little bit about that because that wasn't something I don't think either one of us had thought as much about before this trip. It's a great example of a risk that you can reduce a bit, but that is just very much there if you decide to go and do these sorts of adventures. We read up on it extra in the couple days before, before our trip because... Uh, There were some very severe thunderstorms in the week or so before we left, uh, and a hiker actually died from being struck by lightning not very far, uh, further north on the the John Muir Trail from where we were going. Uh, Freak accident. Um, It wasn't anything in particular he did wrong, uh, but it was a great example of how you can you can do some things to minimize the risk and sometimes you're just very unlucky so because of that we were reading up a lot on what to do and we were expecting that the weather might change in our favor but wanted to be ready for it to the extent that we could and it's terrifying to be up there in a lightning storm it's you can only do so much to make yourself safer and the things that you can do only make yourself a little safer put your legs together so the lightning doesn't go from one part of your body to the other and crouch down so you're in a ball you know all these things you don't know how much difference they're really going to make but yeah the main thing you can do is get down to lower elevation and find particular spots at that however far you can get down find particular spots that are safer than others just in terms of terrain and then once you're in a spot you can get away from gear that might attract lightning like your backpack um, or your hiking poles 
and then you can get in the lightning position, which is a particular very uncomfortable crouch, mm-hmm. you know, which I have had to do over on the East Coast in, in lightning storms. But I don't think even then really fully understood why I was doing that or I was in a group of people. And yeah. Yeah, I don't think I really fully understood the risk. So it's scary. It's one of the it's one of the scariest things, I think, that you face in this year, at least. Yeah. We were talking to a woman from Alaska and she said that that's not an issue up there. Yeah. We're thinking about you know, different considerations in different parts of the world and different, even different parts of our country. Um, they don't have crazy lightning storms like we do up here, she said. But she was on the trail before us because she was on John Muir and there was something that she got very familiar with. Well, what else? Anything about the hike that uh, we haven't talked about that you want to mention? curious to know what was unexpected for you what was unexpected for me i found the extreme differences in terrain that we encountered astounding and one of the most wonderful things about the hike uh, i know that the sierra are gorgeous i've hiked in them a bit we did a training hike in Sequoia National Park, Alta Peak, and had um, seen the terrain there. But in addition to the beautiful alpine lakes and the, and the granite, we went through fern forests, uh, burned out valleys, um, lush valleys, parts of our hike that looked like moonscape because there was no vegetation it was just rocks and then these gorgeous alpine meadows up above the tree line that were very green with little streams running through them and that was one of my favorite parts in some days we would go through four or five of these different types of terrain and i just loved that one of the hardest days we did was a 13 mile day but because it 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 passed through we did so many different things in that day that was my favorite day and then i think the other thing that really surprised me was just how grueling the last day was down from mount whitney we went six thousand feet down in about 10 miles i had gone up whitney three years ago from that same side from the east side and I have no recollection of it being that difficult. And perhaps it was because I was carrying less weight. Perhaps it was because I hadn't been hiking for five days before. But that was, that last day, and I, had, I hadn't really thought about that section because I was so focused on getting to the top of Whitney. And that was, in some ways, the end of the hike in my mind. Then, oh, then we just have to go down and out. And we're out, we can get a burger and we can have a beer. We started on the top of Whitney. We got there at 6 o'clock, saw the sunrise, started down, put our packs back on from where we had left them before we summoned Whitney at about 8 o'clock. So it was 8 o'clock to 2 in the afternoon. And that, I think we were all hurting. Grumpy. Grumpy, (laughs) tired, knees sore from just going down, 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 down. And so that was surprising we had fortunately the adrenaline that we were almost done but yeah that was a lot more that was the most grueling day of hiking 
I've ever done, even though it was mostly down. I was also thinking about you and I had a lot of conversations over the last week about comparing this to sailing and what was similar and what was different. And one of the one of the things I think is really different from regular life about going backpacking is that depending on how you plan your trip, many of your days are so grueling. And by the end of the day, you are exhausted in a way that you are almost never at home, especially for those of us who work computer jobs and have too much Zoom in our lives. Even for those of us who chase small children all day, it's a different kind of tired. And it's one that is mentally exhausting, but it's also really rewarding. Like there's, I love the feeling at the end of a day of hiking, of lying down on my sleeping bag and feeling like I really did something Mm -hmm. that day. Mm -hmm. And I don't get that feeling from almost anything else that I Mm -hmm. do in my life. And I wonder how that compares for, to you, uh, for how you feel like when you end a day on a passage or when you end a day out at sea. That's a great question. One of the things that I wonder about, about sailing and ocean sailing is like, when do you ever get this feeling of like, where's the aerobic exercise? (laughs) Like, where's the feeling of, I did something with my body today. And I know you've, you've often said, well, you're always doing things, you know, so you're sort of always puttering around and, um, fixing things and adjusting things and doing jobs and doing tasks. I don't have any illusions that it's some lazy thing, Yeah. but I, I, my impression, my assumption is that it would feel very different at the end of a day on a boat than it would at the end of a day hiking over mountains. And then, you've done both, so I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, it does. Well, first on, the, on your comment about staying busy, and I think that uh, is very similar in that you think there is no downtime even though you don't have your regular routine. There's always things to do. On the trail, you have to filter water to set up camp you have to cook on the boat you have to be making sure maintaining gear and inspecting and navigating and or cooking or shopping no you don't get the same exertion i mean i would say if, if very few things i've done have given me the same exertion as i've felt on the trail carrying a 35 pound pack miles for a day but when I was cruising, I was very fit from, in a different way, from using muscles that I just don't use in a, in, when I'm sitting in front of the computer, doing a lot of manual work in terms of winches, raising anchors, rowing, rowing the dinghy, walking. You go ashore and you have to find where you're going to go and you're gonna, you, you, don't, you don't hop in the car and drive to the store. It's a very active, active lifestyle. Swimming, swimming all the time. No, you can't just step out your front door and go for a run or, or go for a hike necessarily. But again, when you're cruising, most of your time is not on passage. Most of your time is at a destination and the, pas- the ocean passages are between those spots. You can go ashore possibly go for a run or go for a walk, go for a hike and, and get get that kind of exercise. But that is different. This has been so much fun. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's been fun debriefing the trip. It was a wonderful, 
wonderful trip. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming. And happy anniversary because on the top of Whitney, we celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. So happy 10th wedding anniversary, my love. To you too. Thanks. That wraps up this week's episode of Out the Gate. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Out the Gate Sailing, and Lauren is also on Instagram at Kina Reno. If you prefer email, you can reach me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. As always, I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show, and until next week, smooth sailing.